everybody, it's Sunday, May 18, 2014. Hope you're having a great day. And today we're gonna to change gears a little bit and talk about business finance. And why this? Well, it's actually something most people don't touch upon. And I haven't found really any good guides starting out in terms of like taxes, incorporation, uh, IRS. I mean, there's some things out there, but nothing's like hearing it from someone who's been there and done that. So uh, today I've got my friend Matt Paulson, a uh, fellow mastermind member over at the Dynamite Circle, where we're going to talk about uh, kind of his experience being online in business for over eight years now. All right. Hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, this is also episode 99. So uh, next week uh, we are at 100. So I got an announcement next week. So make sure to tune in and uh, hope you guys enjoy this. Don't deliver a product, deliver an experience. You're listening to the Build My Online Store podcast, and I'm your host, Terry Lin. We're here to talk about running an online store and building a strong e-commerce brand to take your online store to the next level. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com. Let's get on with the show. So Matt, uh, real quick, who are you and what do you do? So I am an entrepreneur located in Sioux Falls, South Dakota in the United States. Uh, my entrepreneurial journey kind of started in 2006. Um, I was a personal finance blogger and I, uh, that market was flooded at the time and I eventually kind of figured out that I wasn't going to be the next J.D. Roth or big name. So I start, moved on to other businesses and some of them ha- have done quite well. Um, I quit my day job about 18 months ago. Uh, kind of my three main businesses are Analyst Tradings Network, which is a framing investment newsletter. Um, there are 90,000 subscribers and about 2,000 of those are paying 15 bucks a month for a premium version. My other two businesses are GoGo Photo Contest, which is fundraising software for animal shelters and humane societies. And then there's Lightning Releases, which is a press release distribution business. When you were starting out in personal finance, did you find that once you start seeing some business success, the dynamics were really different in terms of managing both finances of your business and personal life? Definitely a lot more work when you have some money to manage versus you know not having any money to manage when you're broke, you really can't spend any money, you don't have any money to invest, so it's a, it's a lot simpler, but once you start to have some money in the bank, you gotta start thinking about asset allocation and you know how much do I need for retained earnings and what do I need for an emergency fund and you know how am I gonna stick away money for retirement so the government doesn't get all of it and there's just a lot more questions you have to answer once you start to have some success. Mm-hmm. And before we get into that, we want to just warn everyone that this is not tax or financial advice. This is just kind of yeah. Matt's experience, and we're just kind of seeing if he has any best practices that you can kind of pick up. I'm not not a financial professional in any capacity. I'm an entrepreneur. I've had some success. I've made some good money. So hopefully that will be um, just know where we're coming from on this, I guess, is, is the point. All right. So here's one thing starting out that a lot of people, when they get into business, whether it's e-commerce, consulting, freelancing, uh, they use the same PayPal account for your business and personal finance. So I know this can, this is okay starting up, but when should you actually separate um, both accounts? You know, I, I really think you need to think of your company as a separate person from yourself, kind of from day one. Um, so your business should should have its money and you should have your own money. So that means you should have a business checking account. You should have your business PayPal account. And that should be, I think it should be separate from your personal PayPal account um, right away. Um, it's just a lot cleaner that way. And that way you don't have to go through a list of transactions with your you know, accountant at the end of the year saying, oh, this is personal, this is business. And uh, that way there's just a really clear separation. Really the only time your, your business's money and your, your money should intertwine is kind of at the end, end of the month when you pay yourself. And really that's the only kind of interaction that those two kind of separate entities of you and your business should have. Mm-hmm. And so when you're paying yourself, 
you know, I guess someone just starting up might might think I should just PayPal from my business to my personal. Is there like a right way you should be doing this? Or uh, sure. So there's a lot of questions about paying yourself. Um, you wouldn't want to pay yourself with PayPal because then you'd obviously have to pay the fees. Um, typically, you'd want to pay yourself, you know, just out of your business checking account, your personal checking account. Um, if you bank at a big bank, um, I bank at Wells Fargo. I can just do a transfer from my, you know, business checking account to my my personal checking account, like on the end of every month, with you know, whatever profit is left in my account. And obviously, there, are, if you're a certain type of business, you have to do payroll, and there are some other issues that that go into play there. And we can delve into those if you want to. Yeah, and one thing you mentioned in one of your posts that I read was that you had a mistake starting out when you were an LLC and I think you filed the S-Corp too early. Uh, was, can you go into that a little bit? So when I first started my company, um, there was an accelerator program at the university that I was attending. So I, I signed up for it because they were basically giving you 500 bucks a month to start your business. So I, I took the free cash and just kind of went along with what they had told me to do. So they hooked me up with the lawyer that would, was going to set up my LLC and, and we did that. And um, so we filed the IRS form 8832, which you know, made me an S-Corp. Um, I had no money at the time, so that really didn't make any sense to be an S-Corp. Um, so when you have an S-Corp, you're supposed, you're supposed to be doing payroll, and I, I wasn't doing that. So kind of three years later, I was talking to my accountant, and I figured out that I was supposed to be doing that, and we ended up having to redo like three years of returns, and I think it was like, it's not only the, uh, you know, your tax return you have to do, you also have to re- redo like the quarterly um, payroll returns, and then you do the federal unemployment return, I had to go back and do all of those. So. You know, I ended up sending about 20 different checks to the IRS, and I think it maybe totaled like three grand I had to pay them. It wasn't, you know, a ton of money, but it was really more of a, a big hassle to get it fixed after the fact. And, you know, it was just really easy to spend a little bit of time up front and to figure that stuff out other than just, you know, shoeboxing it at the end of the year and hoping that it works out. Yeah, without going into too much detail, basically S-Corp means you're an employee of your own company, right? Yep, having an S-Corp just means that you're... A corporation and there are requirements one of the requirements of being an S Corp is that you pay yourself a salary. Um, the reason for that is your S Corp profits aren't subject to, you know, self employment tax, um, like you would if you were just a straight up sole proprietorship or partnership. Because of that, you have to pay yourself something for the work that you do, but you do have to pay yourself something. And then, you know, everything else on top of your salary you know, you get to avoid the whatever fourteen percent or fifty I don't even know what it is of self employment tax that which is Really nice. From what I understand, the reasonable salary is the questionable part, right? Like you can't pay yourself 10K and like 100K bonus that's not taxable because then it's just a red flag. Yeah, it's got to be kind of commensurate to like what somebody, like if you were going to hire yourself to do that job, what would you have to pay yourself? And, you know, it's, it's really a gray area. I think I pay myself, I think, 70, 80K a year. And the reason I do that is because that's the job I could go get if I were an employee somewhere in town. And everything after that is profit, which is not subject to that. So I haven't gotten yelled at yet, but you never know when the IRS is going to decide that that's not the right number. So when you filed S-Corp, did you have to retroactively pay yourself for those three years before? Or how did that work? Well, I had already paid myself the profit. It was just I had to reclassify that income is profit and then pay the payroll taxes on it, which I basically had to send 20 forms into the IRS, you know, redoing everything, which was more of a paperwork castle than the actual, you know, financial cost. And so we switch gears a little bit. What are some key mistakes you see kind of new entrepreneurs make with their business and personal finance besides kind of the PayPal all under one account? I, I'd probably say there's five different things. I, I see a lot of my friends that are starting businesses and mistakes that they make. You know, one is just mixing business, business and personal, personal expenses. You really should keep those separate. Two is actually keeping track of what you're making and not making. Believe it or not, there are people that, that don't do that and don't really see the need to do that. It's just important to have a list of 
of your revenue expenses for every month to know you know how much money you're making or not making. I've seen some people not think they need to file taxes because they haven't made any money. You know, even if your business is business loses money, the IRS is going to come after you if you get a 1099 because they're going to want tax on that versus what your net profit was. So, you know, even if you haven't made any money, you should still file your taxes because get in trouble if you don't eventually. The fourth thing is probably just to know kind of what taxes you're responsible for collecting and paying, especially at the state and local levels, because there's sales tax and use tax and, and stuff like that that you really have to watch out for. Doing business across state lines and all of your customers out of state, that's not a big deal, but you're going to have some customers in the state that you're in. Just have to be mindful of what you're supposed to collect and not supposed to collect, knowing the implications of your legal structure. You know, if you don't have one, you're a sole proprietorship and it's not that much, but if you're going to be anything else, there are definitely some caveats that come along with those. So you really need to know what you're getting into when you sign up for one of those. Yeah, whether that's LLC, partnership, S-Corp, as LLC, that's something you guys got to research. So going back to point number four, you were talking about sales tax. So basically that means, say you're in South Dakota, if you have a subscriber in South Dakota, if they had sales tax, you would have to pay the state yep. the sales tax, right? Yep, it's uh, 6%. I have a few consulting things that I still do and I'm trying to get rid of, but I still do them. And you know, those I have to collect 6% on and then twice a year I have to send that into the state. And apparently businesses are also supposed to pay use tax. I know consumers are supposed to do that too. So it's basically anything you buy on Amazon that you don't pay sales tax on, you're supposed to pay sales tax on. And individuals, nobody complies with that, but businesses tend to comply with that. So you know, we do and we end up paying a few thousand bucks a year to the state for use tax. So that means like if your business buys a computer for an expense, you would have to pay tax on that at the end of the year? Yep. You know, if you haven't paid state sales tax on it and you buy it and you use it, then you're supposed to pay 6% use tax on that. Because most people just buy stuff on Amazon and they're just like, whatever, I got my stuff, I don't care. <laughs> Which is what I do when I get yep. stuff on Amazon. But yep. is the best practice to like say you buy something that's a thousand bucks, you set aside six percent in account, or like how does that work out in the actual transaction? My accountant told me I should probably do it, so I I decided to listen to her. And is this mostly on like goods that are out of state? What if say like you buy services, like a SaaS service? Would this be classified under that too? Or? It's a it's a pretty gray area as to what counts. Like it's, it's going to depend on the state that you're in. Um, services technically are, you know, if you have like a server in like Texas and, you know, you have like a writer that's putting content on the server in Texas, technically they're never providing a service to your state. So it's like, it's really a, a great area that. Oh, uh, because the service is based somewhere, but you may own the business in Wyoming. So there's some. I, I'm not smart enough to understand that. So I just take a good stab at it and try to pay what I think I owe. So for these things, like kind of like setting money aside, like you were talking about setting aside money for the IRS for quarterly taxes. Do you always err on the safe side or how do you, what are your, what's your philosophy on that when you run your business? You don't need to err on the safe side because you can actually, it's pretty easy to know exactly what you're going to owe. My kind of rule of thumb is that when you pay yourself every month, you set aside a quarter of it. I mean, a separate like savings account only for taxes. So that way you don't accidentally spend it on something else. And at the end of every quarter, it's, I think it's January 15th, April 15th, June 15th, and September 15th. You're supposed to send in your quarterly estimates, and there's just a really simple form you can use to do that. It's paying the estimated taxes from the profit from your business, you know, technically your personal taxes, but it's, you know, the money from your business. You know, you send it in every quarter, and then um, on the last quarter for January 15th, which is basically October through December of the previous year, um, you can do a really quick and dirty kind of estimated 
tax return. There's a form on, I think it's dinkytown.net. Basically type in, you know, what you made and what you think your deductions are going to be. And it'll give you a pretty good estimate of what you're going to owe for taxes. And, you know, you subtract out what you already paid in. And then you can kind of adjust that fourth quarter payment to based on what you think you're going to owe. So I've gotten last year, I think I got it within 200 bucks. It was if you use the estimator right, you can get pretty close on what you, you're going to owe. Did you find this all this stuff kind of hard to wrap your head around when you first started? Because I think a lot of people are listening to this like, man, <laughs> like being an employee is so much easier in some ways, too, when you have to deal with all this crap. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a learning curve. And, you know, it's it's really the kind of thing that you have to learn by doing it. And once you start doing it after a while, it, it gets easier. The one thing that kind of like gets me all this stuff is like, yeah, I'm busy, you know, building my business. I don't want to deal with this crap. So how do you like decide what to start outsourcing or like when do you get, when did you get a bookkeeper and accountant and everything else to get you all sorted out? It was I think it was 2010 when I decided I wanted to hire somebody because I early that year I figured I screwed everything up and then I had been doing all of like the quarterly forms myself and I just decided it was a big headache. Um, so I ended up hiring somebody who's local that could just could take care of everything and worry about everything for me so I didn't have to pay attention to what deadlines were coming and going. So, you know, I pay her a couple grand a year and she just takes care of everything for me, which is kind of nice not to worry about it. Once you can afford it, it's probably worthwhile. I mean, if you're only going to make 10 grand this year, you can't afford to do that. But if you're making 50, you can certainly pay somebody a thousand bucks to to worry about stuff for you. And when you say you paid her a few grand a year, are you talking like two to three or like eight to nine or? It's probably about 2000 bucks. I mean, it's just my quarterly forums, my personal taxes, my business taxes. I don't know if I'm getting a sweetheart deal, but it, it's actually one of my friend's mom that just retired and still does that kind of stuff. So it was uh, kind of a good friend relationship. Yeah, gotcha. And so uh, very generally speaking, what's the difference between like, say, a bookkeeper and an accountant? Because I know they have different roles within a business. I've never hired a bookkeeper, so I'm not really sure specifically what that role is and what my, my, my best understanding is that a bookkeeper um, just kind of keeps track of your income and expenses and sticks it into QuickBooks and writes some checks for you. An accountant is more about doing taxes and payroll and that kind of stuff in the actual forms that you have to file with the government. There's like some SaaS apps I can do what a bookkeeper does now too, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody really needs to hire a bookkeeper anymore, especially if you have an online business because your, you know, your income and expenses can automatically get imported into something like Xero that just does it for you. And then you can hand it off to your accountant and say, here you go, this is what I made. And that's definitely what you want to do. Yeah, so one thing that's kind of confusing to me is that when you look at, like, say, zero or whatever all these things are, like, how do you choose between each one? Or, like, when, what was your learning curve, like, trying to decide on one to use? I started in 2008 when none of those things existed. I'm a software developer, so I, I wrote one from scratch, which is not the right thing to do. That's what I did and what I still use because I have all the great reports and it automatically imports from PayPal and Stripe. But... Everyone else should do zero because lots of people have said nice things about it. And so uh, last but not least, are there any books or resources you think people should check out in terms of like business finance or getting wrapping their heads around the personal and business finance? Um, so there's a book called Accounting Made Simple. The, the pitch is accounting explained in 100 pages or less, and that's by a guy named Mike Piper. So that'd be a book you might want to check out, and that'll explain a lot of the boring accounting stuff for you. Also, you know, I'm writing a book, so it's called 40 Rules for Internet Business Success. And basically the idea is it'll contain 40 principles about internet business that I've kind of learned during the last eight years that I've been doing this. And, you know, it just contains some of the principles I've learned so that you can avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. It's on my website, mattpaulson.com, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-S-O-N.com. I'm 
publishing kind of unedited chapters of the book so you can kind of get a preview of it. What do you think are the three biggest lessons that you can share with us from the book? I would say probably, you know, one number one would be to not be an employee um, in your own company. You know, if you really want to build a business that's going to scale and, you know, get to the six and seven figure mark, you really have to use, you know, kind of software systems and team members and, you know, not just doing everything yourself. And, you know, that'll work up to maybe 10 or 20 grand. But after, after that, you really need to have, you know, people and processes and technology that can really run the day-to-day operations of your business so that you can work on your business. Another one that I've gotten a lot of feedback about is to not be a copycat of somebody else's business model. Not everybody can be, you know, Pat Flynn or Dan Andrews or anybody that's got a big name. I mean, even if you were to to copy what somebody else does exactly, you're not, you don't have their personality and you didn't start when they did. So you're not going to have the same success that they did. So you see a lot of people that will take like John Lee Dumas's podcasting course and try to be exactly like him. And it's like, well, you can't do that because you're, you know, you're not him. You got to really do your own thing. So that's another lesson. But I think that's the easy part when you start online is like, well, like it makes sense to copy what works, but then you also need to realize that, you know, you can't just copy it carbon copy because everyone's situation is different in and you're also assuming that you know what makes somebody like John Lee Dumas or Pat Flynn successful. I mean, you see parts of their business kind of through their public website, but you don't know everything that happens in their business or you wouldn't be able to copy it exactly, even if you wanted to. You don't have their relationships too. that probably what happened to a lot of behind the scenes things. Because you get like how we work in the DC, like our good friend Tim Conley or, you know, Dan, like a lot of the stuff that happens, like, you know, the JVs are helping each other out happens behind the scenes. And it's those things that kind of scale up over time, I guess. And, you know, you, you can't really steal that as a person. And it's a good thing and bad thing too, in the sense that you can create something on your own without, you know, being someone else. But it's also that, hey, you gotta, it's all on you. That's a, I mean, you can definitely tell when, when, when people have got it and they're kind of doing their own thing versus something that's just a, you know, a copycat in a shadow of somebody else's business. Yeah. And, and I think doing that takes some level of balls, too, because you, you never know if it's going to work, right? If you go on your own and doing something new, is this kind of comes with it, too. So Absolutely. One other principle that is probably, you know, very good for your audience is that you really need to own your customer list. I mean, if you are selling through Amazon exclusively or through iTunes or whoever kind of relying on somebody else's ecosystem, whether you're selling through Facebook, you're not, you're not really building a customer list when you kind of work exclusively through other people's platforms. Like if you're, you're on the app store, you don't really know who your customers are. And that's a, it's a dangerous game if, you know, Amazon or Apple or whoever decides that they don't need you anymore. Then you think about all the people that have built audiences on Facebook. And then all of a sudden one day they find out they have to pay pay money to reach their audiences. That's uh, not a game I'd want to sign up for. So I really think you need to, to build an email list to know that you can always contact your customers directly if if you want to, or if one of the big companies changes the game so that you can't reach your audience as easily as you used to through their platform anymore. Because I mean, if you have everybody's email address, you can always send them an email and say, this is what I'm doing. But if you're reliant on somebody else to send that message for you, you don't always know if they're going to honor the kind of the relationship that you've had with them in the past. Uh, you also mentioned something about not getting scammed. So what's the deal with this? Uh, sure. So there are you know, a lot of different ways that people have tried to scam my company you know, since I started in 2008. So I've seen just about everything. My first one, it was kind of my favorite one, is that uh, somebody kind of thought they owned the phrase American Consumer News. So they wanted me to pay them 7500 bucks a year you know, to license the name American Consumer for American Consumer News LLC. And they had sent, had an attorney send me a letter and you know, we're all big and scary and demanded money. And I basically had 
an attorney tell them you know to get lost and you know we obviously never heard from them again you know once you're big enough you're going to get uh, get legal letters on you know maybe a monthly basis i still get them and a lot of them are full of crap so it's important to know when you know a legal letter that you get is full of crap or not full of crap yeah so how do you do that because most legal letters are kind of scary for most of us that aren't versed in that stuff so like, how did you figure out some of them were full of crap and some of them were actually serious i've got a lawyer friend that you know i forward them to and he can tell me but um usually the, the bigger and scarier they sound the more full of crap they are that, that's kind of one indication i use and there's a lot of positioning in those letters so you really just kind of have to figure out all right, what kind of crap are they saying? Then it's like, what do they actually want you to do at the bottom of the letter? That's the part you should pay attention to. So it might be a, a brokerage for analyst ratings network saying, yeah, we really don't want you to report on our ratings. So we'll say, okay, we'll delete your ratings and send you on your way. And then we never hear from them again. Oh, but they would add all this, like, if you don't do this, this is ruining our reputation. It's ruining us, our business. You're making money off of us and you're not supposed to. And you have to license these ratings. And it's like, really, I have to, I have to license the word buy from you. Yeah. <laughs> it's on Bloomberg I can just google it and search for it there too like come on but this sounds like a kind of like a it's not like a huge scam though it's more like a bullying yeah it's a bullying tactic you just have to be aware of it kind of the other another big one is that uh, just getting fake invoices especially like for domain name registrations you'll get an invoice to renew your domain name but it's not actually from the company that you bought your domain from there are a couple that I get like letters from these you know, on a monthly basis, telling me that I need to send them $50 to renew a domain name that should cost $10. Especially if you, you're going to register like a trademark or a patent, you'll get a ton of those. Like I've gotten, um, you know, I registered Analyst Ratings Network for a trademark like six months ago, and I, I still get invoices for like 2500 bucks for international trademark services and are obviously, you know, full crap. So you just have to pay attention. And, you know, if it's not something you ordered, throw it in the trash. So they're trying to invoice you on a bogus service, thinking that you wouldn't see it. You would just hand it to your accountant and then yep. pay it? Uh, yeah, and I'm sure it works for some larger companies, but it's send you an invoice and then like in really small font in the back, it says this is not an invoice. It's an offer for blah, blah, blah service. Any, any like blatant, like say someone cold calls you, pretends to be someone, and turns out it's like this huge, like, I don't know, Nigerian oil scam or something like that you know i i get some of those but i don't i don't answer the phone unless i i know who's calling me then i'll just google the phone number afterwards and it's pretty easy to spot those something i've had to deal with um, recently is i had a, actually had a team member try to steal from me and that was uh not fun to deal with but i had a, a writer that invoiced me for some articles that he didn't actually write so i just had some software that would like query wordpress to see you know how many articles he were writing and he just was posting the same articles over and over again and it took me a couple months to notice because i wasn't paying close enough attention um, so I probably ended up losing about 1500 bucks in that ordeal. And, you know, it just really shows you need to kind of trust but verify um, when you're working with people to make sure they actually, you know, do the work that they say they're doing. Um, you know, if you have a PayPal account, obviously you shouldn't give that out to anybody unless you have a very good reason to not let any, have any team members access checks, credit cards or anything like that. And, you know, just really make sure that people are doing what they say they're going to do before you hand them money. Yeah. And I think... Starting out, you always think people have the best intentions too, right? Until you actually get scammed and you're like, whoa. Too bad of a deal that you have to worry about that kind of stuff and you think, you know, people want to work for you that they're, they just want a job and, you know, want the money from working for you and that's not always the case, unfortunately. Exactly. All right, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, let us know where we can find you again online. Sure. It's uh, mattpaulson.com, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-S-O-N.com. And then Twitter is just Matthew. DP, D as in dog, P as in pony. Yeah, awesome. All right, guys. So thanks for listening. Make sure to check out Matt's book when it comes out, 40 Rules for Internet Business Success, and check him out at mattpaulson.com. Thanks again for joining us today, Matt, and we'll keep in touch. Yep, thanks, Terry. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. If you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.